Welcome to the People, Profit, Purpose podcast from the Singapore Centre for Social Enterprise, RAISE. I'm your host, Sharon Chen, and this podcast will share how businesses can do good authentically and strategically, such that doing good becomes a value creator instead of a cost centre. In each episode, three guest speakers will share their thoughts and uncover insights into a particular topic of doing good and social entrepreneurship. If you're looking for more sustainable ways to create social impact for your business, this show's for you. In this episode, I speak with Jonathan Chang from Shopify, Alfie Othman from the Singapore Centre for Social Enterprise, RAISE, and Andrew Bray from Singtel to debunk some misconceptions about social enterprises. We'll discuss some challenges of balancing a double bottom line, and we'll wrap up with practical advice to grow your business for good. Now let's start with my first guest, Jonathan Chang. Jonathan is the Head of Growth for Governments and Organisations at Shopify. He's also a fellow with Raise and has experience running his own social enterprise. Now, Jonathan, tell me, what piqued your interest in social entrepreneurship? About 10 years ago, I was, uh, thanks to a fellowship I, from Columbia University, I was doing research in Rwanda, in Kigali, and that was my first time to Africa. All of my students were genocide survivors, and they were so excited to learn about entrepreneurship, but then yet at the same time, they take that concept and then they think about it in a broader scale, broader impact about the communities on how entrepreneurship can be used to heal some of the wounds of the genocide and the civil war. That was the first time for me that I could connect my passion in entrepreneurship with the social impact of it. And next, I have Alfie Othman. Now, Alfie is the CEO of the Singapore Centre for Social Enterprise, RAISE. Alfie, what are your thoughts around social enterprises, which are also known as businesses for good? I understand you are a social entrepreneur yourself? There seems to be a shift of the type of founders or social entrepreneurs over the last 10 years. When I started my journey back then, it was more of a push factor, midlife crisis. And to me, financial sustainability was key, not necessarily profitability. My business model itself is the typical brick and mortar where, you know, it's um, heavily capex, you know, there's no, no scalability potential at all. But we were focusing on sustainability. We're not going to lose money. We just want to be sustainable. But fast forward where we are now, I see younger founders using tech and inevitably to scale their business and impact is key to them. And in doing so, the better ones inevitably will make profits. Now, is that wrong? Personally, I don't think so it is. But there must be a certain level of benchmark that one can say that you must have in terms of making sure your impact is in tandem, is scalable with your business or your revenue or your profits. So it doesn't make sense if your profit is going up, but your impact is flat. It has to be in tandem. And my third guest is Andrew Bui. Andrew is the Vice President of Group Sustainability at Singtel and Optus. Singtel recently won the President's Challenge Social Enterprise Champion Award. Now, why have organisations like Singtel decided to support social enterprises? I see it as a concept of shared value. That if a business is doing things that address, let's just say the community, right? Whether it is supporting education or employability or well-being, 
right? All this actually leads to growth in the GDP, the purchasing power, and businesses benefit from that. So I don't see it as mutually exclusive. And I think if businesses and corporates can think of how they can create shared value in the nature of what they do that benefits society, there's actually a spin-off effect back to the corporate. I was a chief operating officer in Globe Telecom in the Philippines, you know, and we could see how as you bring access into the regional rural areas, it stimulates employment, it stimulates the use of mobile services and microfinancing services. And as the GDP, as the employment, as the income levels goes up, it's actually growing growth for the business. So it's actually a win-win type situation. And, you know, we've gone on to think about how our products can address issues such as accessibility. Well, now that we've had an introduction of our speakers, let's dive into the topic proper. How should we define social enterprises? First of all, I think we should be clear on the definition here or the scope of when we talk about social enterprise or social entrepreneurship it has to be a balance between social and enterprise. That's why those two words are attached to one another. Too much social, you're no different than many other charities out there like Red Cross, Worldwide Fund, and and things like that, that they depend solely on donation to keep everything going. Too much enterprise, then you're no different than any other large enterprises out there. Well, I see... The social enterprise as a continuum, you know, from the beginning, you have those small organizations or startups that do have the social purpose as a primary focus. That's the reason that the original purpose of being. But I also see the continuum going all the way up to the large corporates, you know, that have the resources, the capability, the networks, and to the extent that the way they operate the nature of the products and services can create positive societal or social impact. So actually a large corporate also has positive social impact. So the characteristic of a social enterprise, at least minimally, they must have 50% of their revenue comes from the market, meaning trading services, buy and sell, and not donations and sponsors. And 20% of, we use the 20% benchmark against the business resources. So if you want to become an inclusive employer and you have a total staff of 10, you have to have at least two from the disadvantaged group to be a race member. So it doesn't matter where you are, say, a big company that employs 10,000 and you employ 1,000 disadvantaged group or people from the disadvantaged group. 1,000 is still sizable, but you're not good enough to become a race member. You have to at least meet up that 20%. So if I have a product or service and I provide a subsidy to a disadvantaged community, and that makes up 20% of my customer base. Would my business be classified as a social enterprise? So you can't give subsidy that is very insignificant to nature, to your top line, and want to become or want to call yourself a social enterprise or at least a social enterprise under race membership. So these are our loose markers. The third one is a bit qualitative in nature because we want to promote innovation, especially in the emerging needs space. But we are not subject matter experts. And race is very privileged because we have quite close network in the social sector. So if someone come out with an aging solution or mental health solution, what we do is we validate with our social agency partners and ask them, is this something useful for us to actually explore? So those are uh, you know baseline that we will expect if you want to become a race member. Right, Alfie. Yes, thanks for sharing the guidelines of how to qualify as a race social enterprise member. It's really heartening to know that social enterprises find innovative solutions to social problems. 
And they are essentially businesses which need to make profits to keep afloat and grow. But at the same time, they also have to create social impact. Well, I've heard that there are still some skeptical consumers who ask, how are social enterprises different from any for-profit business? Or maybe how can they claim to do good and yet still be for profit? I'm curious to find out how you respond to these statements. Jonathan? So they got to be a balance. And oftentimes when I talk to social entrepreneurs, they ask this question, what should we focus first then? Should we focus on the social angle or the enterprise angle if you said it is a balance? My response to that is that in the beginning, it is important to focus on financial sustainability of your social enterprise. Why? Because if your organization does not survive beyond three months, six months, a year, then all of the great work, all the plans that you have, they're all going to go away. There's one example that I use often is that when we're, if we still can remember when you're on an airplane, when you hear the instructions on what happens if there's turbulences or there's a crash about to happen, the mask will drop. And the first thing they ask you to do is you put the mask on you first before you put it on your child or your children. The way I see a social enterprise should be like that, meaning you need to survive first in order for you to take care of your communities and others. But I think to, you know, to Jonathan, your point, I fully agree that organizations have to be profitable and sustainable in the first place, because if they are not, then the impact is not sustained. So the viability, financial and otherwise for an enterprise is actually very critical to the sustained social impact for any form of entity along that continuum that I spoke about. Yeah, the cliche goes, if you solve a problem, then you have a good product. Right, that's how Grab, Gojek, it's quite almost impossible to get a taxi within five minutes than five, ten years ago. They solved that problem and look where they are now. So the same for emerging needs. I think two in particular that businesses of SMEs and along that line of angle of solving a problem is that of mental health and aging. Um, these are not the traditional social gaps that we face, i.e., halfway houses, orphanage, which is just as useful for us to maintain that standard, if not better it. But the emerging needs offer two different kind of objectives or rewards if you look from whichever side of the equation you are. You can actually make money because you're solving a problem, but you are also helping people because there's a gap. And again, these two needs, aging and mental health, it doesn't matter whether you live in a one big bungalow in Bukit Timah or rented flat in Chai Chi, you'll be affected by it. So I think that's how we hope we can inspire existing business to come into that ecosystem because they are sharper and they have experience, they have network, they have resources, and they have a better start than the startups that we are trying to also help out as, as well. And I think Elfie, what, what you mentioned about many of these emerging, if not existing, social issues, they transcend social economic boundaries, right? In the past, you think a particular social issue, it's mainly with, say, an individual or a family who can't afford the services, and that's where the public sector funding comes into the picture. But exactly, ageing, mental health, uh, disability, it addresses, it hits every family. And in a sense, if you then go back to the concept of profits, and not just the purpose, but you have a segment that has a need, whether it's mental health, mental well-being, or enablement for disabilities or ageing, many families are prepared to pay, for which there is no solution. 
So if you can find the right solution, what's wrong with being able to charge those families, even as perhaps maybe you have to subsidise or offer the services free for those who can't afford, right? So I think it's just thinking in the opportunity of those segments that can also pay, even as you address those that can't. And come 2030, ageing will be 25% of market segment. Right. Hearing these insights, it sounds like the world needs more social enterprises for sure. I think we've covered how the social enterprise model conceptually addresses social gaps through market-driven solutions. However, it's no easy feat to run a successful business while having to constantly ensure it's creating a positive social impact. It must also be responsible for the livelihoods of the beneficiaries employed. Now, how can businesses strive to become more like a social enterprise, to use business as a means of doing good? Right. So if you look at successful social enterprises out there or social impact organizations, their products, first and foremost, the quality is superb. And then they have the social impact of it and you feel good. So when you shop at their organization, you feel great and you want to recommend it to other people and you yourself feel you're doing something positive. So I really like that example. And I just wanted to add that also another dim dimension to why is it important to solve issues that matters and then doing it well. So I feel that if folks like Singtel can lead the way and set up some standard, some benchmark to say that this is a Singapore way of a company doing good in a sustainable way so that it's part of the business and DNA as well, I think that would inspire others to lead that way. And this is something that I strongly believe, a top-down approach, folks like Singtel and organizations of that size like set up the standards. And from the work that we do at RACE, we keep on engaging startups to be a bit more social or if not social enterprise from day one, maybe smaller SMEs or SMEs to, to kind of push them, nudge them a bit to say that, no, this is the way to go of doing business. It's just not about another way of doing good. It is a new way of doing business. So if we set that standards, we set that tone, I feel that we are better placed, maybe at least at the regional level, to set up a standards for others to not to follow, but to be inspired. Would it be feasible to kind of set up a standard against the size of the entity or the size of the corporate? Yeah, Alfie, I think it's always possible to set up some standards, right? Today we have standards in environmental, and I'm sure social has the same. You know, maybe how I think of it might be three dimensions. Like you mentioned, one is what's the intention of the organization? Uh, there, there could be a second dimension in terms of the action and then the third element potentially is in terms of measuring the impact, right? So intention might be to say, as a corporate, we setting certain goals and targets and ambitions as it relates to, say, supporting social or societal issue. Then the actions are actually what you undertake as an organization, the nature of your programs, the initiatives. And then, of course, the impact measurement, for which, of course, there are quite a lot of models out there for social impact assessments and its impact. And again, I think within these three dimensions, there must be a way to start to establish some form of a benchmark and maybe there are other standards that we can actually leverage. So I think it's actually something worth exploring, you know, even in a unique ecosystem of Singapore where you actually have a very close proximity and interaction of all the different stakeholders. Because I think for a private sector to do this, we want to do it in tandem, say, with the government or the public sector, for which that's where you have the understanding of the social issue, and then you also have the sometimes the support and the input for tracking the metrics from a social impact. 
Currently, I'm the head of growth for governments and organizations at Shopify. Shopify is an e-commerce platform, and it is important for us, and especially for me, to be intentional and proactive in reaching out to social enterprises via, for example, a partnership with Raise, or even nonprofit and charities via collaboration with NVPC, because these organizations eventually, especially now in the midst of the pandemic, a lot of them have to go online one way or another, either to raise funds, to sell goods, services, tangible or intangible goods. And this is the way I think the corporate, depending on the type of products that they sell, can try to incorporate that and do not forget they're a segment of our population or our community that still need uh, support. And our platform should be able to cater to that. And I think that is the view from the corporate side. Yes, maybe inherently the product is not made just for social enterprises or nonprofits and charities, but then we can see the broader usage of it so that it can be accessible by all. And to spot on, Jonathan, from two sides of the equation, we had two public sectors or public surveys, public perception surveys. Clearly from the customer side, when we ask about when you are buying things from social enterprise, price and quality tops, tops it out. And on the other side, on the supply side, our own members, the investable social enterprises have a storyboard that basically is all about themselves, their products and their services the impact is somewhere on the last second or third, fourth paragraph and it's never being amplified. So clearly, I think things are moving towards that direction because they know that's what the market expects of them. That's what the investors want of them. And this is something that's very exciting. So it's getting closer to the business side of things, the professional side of things. But how do we make sure that the impact is impactful? is in tandem with the size of the organization. So we don't want the business to scale 10 times, but the impact to scale two times. So, but we don't expect one for one as well. So where's that, where's that balance? Where's that accepted benchmark? So the ecosystem must come together and say, look, we are developing something new. Let's start with something. And then let's change and chop and amend and change as accordingly with the validation of the ecosystem. Well, I think we look at a couple of criteria. In the case of our Future Makers, the Social Innovation Program, one is obviously is addressing a particular social issue. We sometimes look to the global goals, you know, as a reference point for what are those social impact issues, whether they are education or health and well-being or digital inclusion. So that's one element. The second element we look at is whether there's an application or development of technology or some innovation that's addressing it in a way that's different from maybe the current delivery model. Depending on the maturity of the startup and where they are in the journey, we sometimes have a bit more flexible approach towards thinking about the social impact. In some cases, it's actually just supporting them to come up with the minimum viable product. So I'll say no hard and fast rule, we're quite flexible, but sort of after having heard what Alfie was defining, you know, I kind of think of it from a large corporate, probably again, no one size fits all, but again, going back to maybe, you know, can we define social impact from a customer lens, from a workforce lens, from a community lens, and then maybe from a supply chain. And it might be within those four segments that we could identify relevant either benchmarks or other standards that could be used to start to define the framework. 
something to think about a bit more. Fortunately for me at Shopify in Singapore, I just rely on race and NVPC because they're already member-based organizations. They have done the vetting process and evaluating these organizations. So for me, I can be more direct and intentional in ways for us to support these organizations by directly working with the organizations because they already have the membership. But personally, I, again, thanks to race, I'm also the social entrepreneurship fellow. And through the fellowship, I got matched as a mentor with social enterprises in Singapore. Then I work with them and I help them scale and looking at fundraising and things like that. Again, I think thanks to really the work of some of these organizations in Singapore that already make a lot of the work somewhat easier for us that wanted to contribute because they're already there. Great. Thank you all for sharing these insights. To the entrepreneurs and businesses listening, you don't have to start from scratch on your own. Get in touch with ecosystem organizations like Raise so they can guide and connect you with the relevant stakeholders to further your corporate sustainability and social impact journey. As a closing question, what advice do you have for social enterprises and organizations who are looking to strategically incorporate impact into their business? Also, how can they better manage a double bottom line of profit generation with social impact creation? Product market fit developing your MVP, testing your business model, talking to as many potential customers as possible, looking at what is your beachhead. What that means is your lowest hanging fruit, like where you can go, which part, which networks that you're part of. These are some of the basic things that I think a lot of enterprises or a lot of entrepreneurs, regardless whether they're social entrepreneurs or more commercial entrepreneurs that are starting to think about the social angle of their business, this is what they have to do. They have to validate their idea. They have to often readjust their strategies, the way they present their value propositions and everything. So I would say that those are the first steps that they have to go through. And just listening to Jonathan, everything he said is exactly what a commercial startup would have to do. So it's not actually very significantly different between, they say, a social enterprise and a for-profit startup or enterprise, right? But then once you identify as an entity what the social issues are that needs to be solved for, then it's really thinking what is the opportunity to create value along the value chain? Is there a white space? That's where I see some of the opportunities for value creation to happen. Therefore, I felt whether SMEs or MNCs alike, they need to kind of have a reference point that someone has done it or someone that is actually doing it. Because it's hard for us as an ecosystem developer. We are, we are fairly small. We're only five years old. Trying to convince them and not having a reference point is quite tough because then it's all conceptual. So by whatever Andrew have spelled out intent, action and impact measurement, that's the framework. But I think more importantly is, you know, a reference point that someone is doing it or someone has done it. I think that will be useful for us to push. Well, Alfie, I'll add to that. I think collaboration. You know, one of the things when we first started thinking of many of our social impact programs, never having done it before, the question is, do you cook it up and create it from scratch? Or do you find a way to collaborate? And I'm a very strong believer in collaboration. So even in the Future Makers program, we started collaborating with Race. We had Race as part of the 
alumni of networks, we started collaborating with other accelerators and incubators, both social and non-social in terms of acceleration. I think it's when you bring together this diverse perspectives, diverse collaboration, and you can build off something that already exists rather than invent it all together, you move a lot faster. You overcome some of the early lessons that, you know, teething issues that you tend to go through if you try and invent things from the scratch. So I'll say collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. And also because when you're talking about social issues, they are a lot bigger than any one single entity can address. And the more you can collaboration from, you know, the corporate, the government, the private sector, the public sector, as well as every player that you can collaborate with essentially, your impact is more likely sustained because many of these issues are actually systemic issues. And systemic issues means you've got to play with all players in that value chain in the systems in order to address it over the long term. To add to the collective intelligence here that's sparked by Andrew and then Alfie, being authentic, having that authenticity in your approach, in your business, in your enterprise, it's so important. Again, it go, I, I go back to the earlier points, one of the points that I make. Consumer these days are smart. You cannot just do something and then they look at you. They, make, they cannot make that connection between what you are selling or what you are proposing to them to who you are, either as an organization or as a social entrepreneur or as an entrepreneur or even as an individual. You gotta walk the walk and talk the talk. You gotta know that you've been spending time in the community, that you know the real issues, not something that you Google, not something that you saw on TikTok, not something that you heard somebody told you in a classroom or through a podcast. It's something that you day in, day out, this is who you are. You are in the mix of everything, but they're waiting. They're waiting for something that they can open their wallet or giving support or whatever it is. And then they can relate and they can connect and they see you, they see you. And they said, wow, what an authentic organization and entrepreneur. I want to be part of your journey. Wow, that is great advice from Jonathan, Andrew and Alfie. Thank you for being on the podcast and sharing so many insights. In this episode, we covered the definition of a social enterprise, also known as a business for good. Alfie shared the guidelines to be qualified as a social enterprise member of RAISE and reminded us that there are emerging social issues, such as ageing and mental health, which transcend social economic boundaries. And Andrew introduced us to the concept of shared value and how larger organisations like Singtel could lead the way in creating a strategic impact framework. He emphasised the importance of collaboration between the people, public and private sectors to create synergies to grow our economy and also to create social value. Jonathan assured us that a social enterprise making profits shouldn't be seen as a bad thing at all. In fact, it's all about the balance between making profits and creating social impact. Ensuring financial sustainability also ensures continued social impact creation. Finally, Jonathan left us with the valuable advice that we all have to be authentic in our approach because consumers are discerning. That leads us nicely into the next episode on social washing. Are your efforts doing more harm than good? Stay tuned as I speak to Cynthia Lowe, Head of Marketing at Epsilo, 
Pat Sien Lo, previously Chief of Staff at the Asian Venture Philanthropy Network, and Tham Jia Rong, Assistant CEO at RAISE. This podcast is curated by the Singapore Centre for Social Enterprise, RAISE. As an ecosystem developer for social enterprises, fondly referred to as SE in Singapore, RAISE provides a range of services to help SEs from start to mature stages, such as funding, business advisory, training, relevant resources and networks. RAISE also looks to encourage collaboration and sharing of information between SEs and other social organisations as well as corporations and individuals who would like to contribute or play a role in the SE sector. Find out more at www.raise.sg and see this episode's show notes for more links about what we discussed in this episode. Remember to subscribe to People, Profit, Purpose via your favourite podcast app to be notified when we release a new episode.